Hello and welcome to episode number four of the Pensburg podcast. I am Garrett Behanna, also known as the Castle Run, joined by my host, Hooks Orpik. He is Jim Rixner. Jimmy, how are you? Doing great, Garrett. How's it going? Going pretty well. Our guest today on the podcast is known as a former NHLer, and he just so happens to be the brother of NHL All-Star Chris Pronger. He is Sean Pronger. Sean uh, graciously came on and gave a really great in-depth interview and and really examined the life of a professional hockey player. And for those who maybe haven't played the game at quite such a high level, uh, the life of a professional hockey player may not be as glamorous as you may realize. And Jimmy, I I know you were able to read uh, Sean's book. And from the sounds of it, Sean, I don't think really minces his words uh, it, it sounds like the life of a, of a hockey player, whether it be an NHLer or whether you're a career minor leaguer or, or just trying to break into any sort of professional league, it, it sounds like the life of a hockey player can be pretty brutal at times. Yeah, honestly, when we started this podcast, Sean Pronger was one of the first guys that I wanted to get on it, which kind of might sound strange just from a name perspective. But if you're my age or maybe even a little older, you might remember him from playing with the Penguins in the late 90s. That was a very interesting time. But the whole breed of player, the guy who's on the fourth line or the third pair, the guy who's like just trying to scratch and claw and stay on the team and do whatever it takes to to really impress the coach to stay in the lineup for the very next game and has to repeat that all the time and lives in fear of one bad turnover, one bad shift, getting sent down to the minor leagues, getting put on waivers, maybe getting claimed by a different organization and not knowing what the future holds. Like that is very interesting to me. And I wanted Sean Pronger on our podcast for a long time because he is, he's like the definition of the quote unquote good locker room guy. Like He's, he's everybody's buddy, he tells a good story, he's making jokes. He's a guy that you could easily see sharing a beer or two with and just shooting the breeze, and he's very easygoing. And as he says in our interview coming up, he calls out a coach that he didn't like. He does that in his book, Left and Right, which I definitely recommend. It's called Journeyman. It's on Amazon. You can find it there. So yeah, check that out for sure if you're interested in reading and because everybody wants to be the leading star, the MVP, or, you know, that top dog, but there's only so many of those spots open and the league's so good and players are so good, it's tough to get there. So it's important to know about guys like Sean Pronger, guys like Derek Grant, who just got waived and his whole life could have been changed if some team wanted him. And Jim Rutherford even said it was nothing Derek Grant did wrong. It was just Matt Murray got hurt. We needed another goalie. We This is what we chose to do. And so there's there's a lot of guys even to this day that are always going to be on that fringe, on that element of, of fighting for everything. And those guys often are the most honest and the most fun and the funniest and the ones you want to hear from. So we are lucky to have that chance. You're right. You bring up a really great point there at the end of what you were saying. It's such a unique perspective what what Sean brought to the interview and and looking back on his career because you know from a fan's perspective, just sitting on your couch watching these games, you don't really you don't really unless you're looking super in depth at a player's career trajectory, you, you don't really take into consideration if you're that third pair defenseman or that for, that career fourth liner, you don't really take into consideration. Um, what a, a, a roster transaction can do to someone's career from one minute you, you could be you could be up um, as an injury replacement on the fourth line uh, being and, and being slotted onto the fourth line for five to ten games maybe until 
the, the superstar that was injured comes back and then you may not see you may not see the NHL again for the rest of your professional career. It, it's such such an interesting topic to me personally j- just to get that experience and and to get that point of view from Sean. It, it really is interesting and it really puts it into perspective for for the fan who maybe hasn't played hockey at any type of level. You know, these guys these are humans with 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 families and wives and children that, that they're trying to support. And you look at the you look at the 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 waiver sheet that maybe goes out every day. You see so and so player X was placed on waivers. Maybe he was a career minor leaguer. And you don't think anything of it. You think, oh well, I guess he'll just go back to the AHL again. On to the next game. On to the next day. And it, it just really is interesting to put it into that kind of perspective to really think about what these guys go through on a day-to-day basis. There's so much unpredictability and uncertainty. You don't know if if tomorrow is going to be, you know, just another day in the American Hockey League or the ECHL, or if you get the call up to the big time and you, you get a, a little bit of a stint in the, in the National Hockey League. Like you said, it's just so competitive. The guys that are in this league are, are, are just so skilled. It really, if it were easy, I guess... As the saying goes, if it were easy, everyone would do it. Everyone would be doing it. And I guess it just goes to show you how competitive and how difficult it really is to crack the the world's most competitive professional hockey league. Yeah, for sure. And we just saw that even last month when the Penguins waved John Sebastian Day and the New Jersey Devils were quick to claim him. And what has he done in the first four games so far with New Jersey? He has three goals in the NHL. And this was a guy who was probably seventh or eighth best center on the Penguins. So they didn't have need for him. And he had a good AHL year last year. And he's he's not really a journeyman yet, Diaz, because he's still on the younger side. But he's kind of in that niche, too, where it doesn't take much if you're one of the top AHL-level players. You could probably pretty easily fit in on a third or fourth line in the NHL somewhere. All those guys, to your point, Garrett, they're all very good. They're all very skilled, and they're all pros. And the competition is really, really cutthroat. And it's really incredible sometimes to see what opportunities come and what happens to guys, how things sort out, whether they have control or not. But, you know, sometimes opportunity knocks in, in it and you can get it or sometimes you can't. So that's a way to see, too. But, I mean, with the Devils, we've seen them claim like Bobby Farnham and someone else too. Cheryl always likes his penguins and, and oh, Brian Gibbons was, was another <laughs> one. So we've seen guys get off the hot starts in New Jersey. So it doesn't even mean it's going to last long, but you know, he wouldn't, John Sebastian D wouldn't have been in Pittsburgh in October and he's scoring goals in the NHL for another club. So it's really incredible. Kind of the line, the margin of error is so thin and so small. And sometimes you get that chance and you can make the most of it. Absolutely. It's, it really is, uh, a fascinating topic to look at the looking at possibly the average career trajectory of your standard NHL player and, and realizing that, you know, a lot of these lower tier kind of players really, you know, they don't have that, like they don't have the financial security in terms of, you know, making the, these huge paydays. They don't really have job security for, if you really want to look at it, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about the, the Bobby Farnums of the world and the JSDs of the world. And, you know, these guys have come into the league with such minimal fanfare. And it, it really is, it's interesting to see, you know, what these players are doing now, what these players were doing to get to this point. 
and looking into the future it's it's interesting to see if they'll be able to sustain this will jsd be able to take the words that that you that you were describing there is he going to be able to carve out a place for himself in the in the the bottom six of the new jersey devils that remains to be seen obviously but you know until then i'm sure a guy like jsd or a bobby farnham isn't taking it for granted playing in the nhl the, the world's most competitive hockey league it's it's a it's a it's a dream that hundreds if not thousands of guys have had going back way and since the league's inception so you know, you know only for a select few of those people can carve out careers and become not even generational superstars because you know the, the, those once in a generation players only come around once so often but the the steady veterans that have been able to to carve out a, a long-standing career in the nhl it's it's not an easy thing to do and when examining uh, the career of a guy like a Sean Pronger or a Bobby Farnham or a JSD, you know, like you said, it's a cutthroat business with so much competition and there are only so many spots to go around. And it's just the nature of the beast that you, you may get to the NHL one day and then go back to the farm team the next day. It's the nature of the business. And again, it's just fascinating to get that perspective from Sean, as you'll see coming up in the interview. But uh, Jimmy, if, if you're ready on your end, I'm ready on my end. We can get straight into the Sean Pronger interview if you're all set. Okay, take it away. All right, here is Sean Pronger, everybody. We hope you enjoy. Our guest today was a third-round pick of the Vancouver Canucks in 1991. He played 260 career games in the NHL over parts of eight seasons for seven different NHL teams. He was a member of the Pittsburgh Penguins for a short time, coming over in a trade from Anaheim and then getting traded to the New York Rangers in the deal that brought Alex Kovalev to Pittsburgh. He has played in the NCAA, the IHL, the ECHL, the AHL, and he has written a hilarious book to detail all these twists and turns. We welcome onto the Pennsburg podcast at this time, Sean Pronger. How's it going, Sean? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Doing great, thanks. As I mentioned, Sean wrote the book Journeyman, which I definitely recommend everyone check out. It really gives you an insight into kind of the players and the mentalities of stuff. And Sean, what motivated you to write that book? Um, I think it was, uh, I think my therapist recommended that I do, that I, that I do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you know, it kind of happened rather innocently. I was writing a blog on my brother's website. And uh, people started reading it and they liked the stories. So I thought, okay, well, I got, I got more of these stories. So then I just kept blogging and then I would write kind of stuff that I didn't, didn't post. And, uh, you know, a friend of mine met a book agent, gave him my name, and then, you know, kind of went back and forth with him and kind of told him what I was thinking about doing. And he's like, you know, no one at, at that time, no one had really done that uh, for hockey. I think there might've been a, a baseball book that was similar. And so, uh, yeah, me and me and uh, Dan Murphy, who works with the Vancouver Canucks, uh, you know, it took about six months to kind of get it done. And yeah, we were. I mean, it was. It, it, I know it's not e that easy to get a book published, but uh, it was. It happened very quickly for us, so it was. Uh, we were very fortunate. Yeah, I really thought it humanized players a lot because you'll see a tweet or you'll see on NHL Network so-and-so placed on waivers, and it doesn't really like register. But then your book, you realize a lot of these guys have young wives a lot of them have children the wife might be pregnant stuff like that and you don't know if tomorrow if you're gonna have to go to calgary or miami florida or pretty much anywhere in between or the farm team and there's so many different 
ramifications, I guess, of things that aren't in your hands. So I guess that never really must have gotten easy, could it have been, just kind of fighting, always trying to do your best, but knowing that, you know, you're if you go on waivers, what could happen and just like the future that's out of your control in such a role, huh? Yeah, no, it was, uh, and that was kind of why I think it got published was just telling the stories behind, kind of behind the scenes because you see the transactions and you see so-and-so got called up or traded or sent down and you just think, okay, you know, another piece of meat getting moved around the board and, uh, you know, really sometimes it's, you know, like guys got, their wives are pregnant. You know, I remember my wife was like eight months pregnant, literally throwing up in the bed beside me or like not in the bed beside me, beside me in the bed. And I got a phone call and I, it was, you know, past midnight on the East coast. And I knew I was with Columbus at the time and I knew that they were playing Calgary that night and had a game against Edmonton the next night. So there's like two hour time delay. So midnight's about the right time the game would end and they'd figure out that one of the guys was hurt. And so the phone's ringing. I know it's my coach saying you're getting called up. And at that time I was on a two way contract and, but I had a guarantee. So I had a, um, I'd guarantee so that, that either they give you a certain amount of games to get you to your guarantee or uh, they just write you a check at the end of the season. And so I was past that. So this was all kind of gravy. All the money on top of whatever I made was going to be gravy. And I was like, you know what? I just don't want to go because I know as soon as I say yes, it's, you know, by the time I take the call, it's one in the morning. Oh. Now I got to either go get my gear down at the lock. You know, the, this was in Syracuse at the time. I got to go down to the arena get my gear, come home, hopefully sleep for an hour or two, because I did the exact same flight earlier in the year. It's a 6 a.m. flight out of Syracuse to Minneapolis. Uh, sorry, no, to Detroit, then to Minneapolis, then to Edmonton. And I, I, I literally get to the rink at game time. And so I already knew this as the phone's ringing, and my wife's like, just answer the damn phone. So I answered the phone. It was my coach. Somebody was hurt, and they <laughs> wanted me to go up catch a 6 a.m. flight and so it's that kind of stuff and then at the at the end of the day like you, I could have chose to not take the call but they're just going to call somebody else up and it's you know it, they're not going to like wait for you until everything's perfect and right. so that's kind of the thing that you kind of deal with it's like you can play in the minors you can play three games in three nights and they may call you up and so it, it could literally be your fourth game in four nights but the alternative is to not get called up and so you're kind of like and so people that watch you play, they have no idea what you've been through to get to that point. And uh, it, that's always, that's kind of what the story we want to tell in the book is just like all the things that behind the scenes that could go on and do go on uh, when a guy gets called up. Yeah. And your book had some good, good points about, especially your trade to Pittsburgh, which you weren't talking about right there. But when you got traded to Pittsburgh from Anaheim, that was your first real organization that you grew up in. You played parts of three seasons with the then Mighty Ducks. And then all of a sudden, right before the 98 playoff run, you got traded to Pittsburgh. And you mentioned how that was an adjustment for you and obviously your wife too, to to be leaving the nice beach there in Southern California to end up getting put up, I guess, probably by the airport maybe in Pittsburgh somewhere out there you know yeah so, I don't even uh, know where it was but yeah it was kind of in the middle of nowhere um yeah, <laughs> it was uh that was I mean for me it, I mean for the players it's usually easier because you got you know 20 new friends and they kind of get you set up on you know what, what to do where to go you know what you know things you need to worry about in the city um but like for the girlfriends and wives that come rolling in uh, especially if you're new to being traded and new to the whole like walking into a wise room kind of game, which is, you know, not always easy. Um, and the people in Pittsburgh are, are awesome. It's just that it was a situation was unfortunate. You know, we, we were living right near the beach in, in uh, Newport beach, California, like literally 80 
steps away from the sand. And then, you know, she flies in under the cloak of darkness into Pittsburgh and then wakes up and we're in a middle of a residence in, in the middle of nowhere, like with a, a field and a rusted tractor right outside our window kind of thing. So that was, it was just a bit of a shocker consistent. Yeah, I can certainly see the lifestyle challenges there. And that was a weird time in Pittsburgh Penguins history anyway. So that was the first year Mario Lemieux was retired for the first year. And it ended up being the last year Ron Francis was in Pittsburgh. And I noticed at the end of your book on your personal all-star team, you put Ron Francis on there and spoke kind of highly on him. And you guys weren't teammates for very long. And obviously he was a terrific player, you know, one of the best centers there ever was. And he always has a reputation of being an even classier person and a great guy. But what, what what's some of the things that made you want to honor him with a special shout out in your book there? Yeah, I, I don't know. Like it was just, you know, the way, the way he carries himself, the way, he's very business-like, very professional, very well-prepared and just kind of commanded respect in the dressing room but quietly um and he you know he was just a classy dude that kind of you know I was new I was a nobody on that team and he you know went out of his way to make me feel comfortable and just kind of watching him being able to sit back and watching him on a day-to-day basis and you know he's such a nice guy and then you see the way he competes and how bad he wants to win um you know uh is, is it, it rubs off on guys and you, and you remember stuff like that you know that, that was a that was a really good hockey team we had uh I just it was unfortunate. I don't know if you remember, we got, we lost to Montreal in the first round of the play. We got upset yep. by Montreal in the first round of the playoffs. And to this day, I'll say we got outcoached. Um, Kevin Constantine was the coach and uh, L.A. Vigneault was the coach of Montreal. And I remember, you know, we had a, you know, it was uh, Stu Barnes, Ron Francis and Yager were, it was our number one line. And they put together a checking line with, they moved Zarly Zalapski up from D to forward to kind of shadow Yager. And we're playing at home where we get the last change. And I remember Constantine like putting our those guys out to match up against the checking line. So it was just like I couldn't I couldn't quite process why he was doing that. And you know we ended up losing in six games. Yeah, I think that was Constantine's reputation. I don't know if that was true that he was a very stubborn coach and he always seemed to be very defensive and trap oriented. Which that that has never been the Pittsburgh Penguins from the time of Mario Lemieux to Yager to Crosby to Malkin. Anytime they try to play defensively, it's never going to work, and it didn't there. And that's a shame because you just missed out on like Herb Brooks and I guess Yager's handpicked coach, the Czech Ivan Holinka. And <laughs> Yager didn't even listen to him. He was scheming up like his own forechecking systems and stuff for his own line did you experience any of that with Yager that he was kind of on a different page than everyone else well I think I was there at the I don't know if it was the peak of the Czech mafia on the Penguins but there was probably let's see Robert Lang you had Marty Straka Yager Slager Yuri Slager four there was like I think five or six guys and they all sat together I think Jan Herdina came in the next year so I was like the it was like the in the uh, first year of the Czech Mafia being formed, and I think they just kept adding to it uh, over the next they couple did. years. And by the end, they had seven or eight probably. And I mean, they were unbelievable hockey players, but yeah, they kind of just did what they wanted. Yeah, and I always thought that was the craziest thing is they hired this coach specifically for Yager, and then Yager just didn't even you know pay him any mind and was just off on his own page anyways. Because I know these days Yager's reputation, obviously he was very dedicated to the game and. He did a lot for it, but back then and kind of act one of his career in Pittsburgh, it was, it was a different situation, I'm sure, to be a teammate with him. Yeah, yeah he was, uh, I mean, obviously world-class talent. I mean, just amazingly skilled and worked. His work ethic was 
I mean, staggering how hard he worked, um, whether it was on the ice, off the ice, unbelievable. Yeah, but he, but he was, I guess you'd say a little immature at that time. Uh, I mean, he would just like during a game, he would just skate off the ice, like not to the bench. He would just go off to the dressing room yeah. without telling the coach. Wow. What would he do? Anything. He would just skate. Well, he had like a skate problem. But he would, he would just say work. He just, yeah, he just kind of went wow. off and get a skate fix instead of like letting the coach know or the trainer know like, hey, there's something wrong with my skate. He just kind of did what he wanted. Um, so I don't think it, he's going to, at that time, he was going to do what he wanted anyway. So it, it wouldn't have mattered who the coach was. He probably just wanted a guy that wouldn't uh, get in his grill. <laughs> if he, if the coach <laughs> felt that Yager was the reason why he was there, maybe just leave him alone. That's probably why they went and got that guy. That's why Yager recommended that guy. Right, maybe. And then uh, we'll wrap this up because I know you said you had limited time. And then the next season you came back for Pittsburgh a little. They sent you down to Houston for a bit. And then you got traded for Peter Nedved and $15 million. I, I don't yeah, remember was, if anyone else was involved. Yeah. I mean, or Kovac, yeah, excuse Chris me. Tamer. Yeah, it was, it was, Chris, it was uh, me, Nedved, and Chris Tamer uh, for Kovalev, Harry York, and $15 million in cash. And so I like to tell the story. It was I think Nedved for Kovalev, Tamer yep. for Harry York, and Pronger for $15 million is the way I like to tell the story. $15 million, worth it. <laughs> worth it. They needed that money back then. And from reading your book, I just brushed over it. You said at that point in Pittsburgh, that was your first one-way contract, right? Yeah. And ironically, I got sent down on the training camp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's probably is, why they included you, is they probably didn't want yeah. to pay you anymore to the same in Houston. So, And back then, that really mattered to the Penguins organization. You know, That's why they needed yeah. that $15 million. They didn't do that for fun. They, they needed that money. And thank goodness Kovalev turned into, you know, they kept his head on straight, and he played really well for him, but... Yeah, that, that was different days for the Penguins than we see now, and you were a part of that story, and we're, we're very thankful to have a few minutes of your time today to talk about it, and we'd like to do it again sometime. Yeah, well, let's set it up. Uh, enjoy talking with you guys, so thank you for having me on. No problem. Thanks a lot, Sean. All right, we'll see you guys. Thank you. That was former NHL player Sean Pronger. Uh, really a great interview. Jimmy, you were able to ask a lot of great questions, and Sean was able to to really pick on a lot of the, those personal experiences that he had. It's just so great, and he's able to put that he's able to put these stories in such a way where I, I think you may have touched on it in the intro. You know, he just seems like a guy that you could just kick back and have a beer with, and he could tell you stories for days. Yeah, for sure. And everybody, go ahead follow him on Twitter. It's at Sean Pronger, and that's spelled S E A N pronger for that and um his book is available on amazon if you want to pick it up i definitely recommend it a lot it's one of my favorite reads it's been out now for probably six or seven years but it's it's one of the best hockey books i think i've ever read and certainly very relatable so we only got to have sean for a a few minutes there so we tried to just touch on his pittsburgh career and the pittsburgh part of his saga there's a lot more i've already talked to sean and He's when he has a little more time, I think he does some stuff with the Anaheim Ducks now. And this past weekend, when you're listening to the podcast, they're retiring the jersey of Paul Korea on Sunday night, last night when this podcast drops. So he was pretty busy getting that all together. And we certainly appreciate the time he was able to give us and squeeze us in to talk about his Penguin days. But I definitely want to have him back to talk because he has so many stories about playing in with the New York Rangers with Wayne Gretzky. 
and with the Manitoba Moose when the Winnipeg Jets were gone and what it was like to play on Columbus Blue Jackets when they were an expansion team and when they got Rick Nash as a youngster and how good he was. So, yeah, he does just have stories for days. They were great to read, and hopefully here on the podcast pretty soon we can get to hear a few of them again. Again, yeah. Our thanks go to Sean Pronger for a fantastic interview. Uh, but let's shift gears now and let's talk about the Penguins themselves. Since our last recording, uh, the Penguins have had games against the Vancouver Canucks and Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, losing to the Canucks by a score of 3-2, to two, and then following up that performance with a really resounding, a really solid shutout 3-0 to zero win against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And uh, Jimmy, when you, when you look at these last two games, what are some of the biggest takeaways that you see from, from the Penguins dropping, of course, dropping one to the Canucks and then really rebounding rather strongly in Matt Murray's return game with a nice win against the Maple Leafs? To me, it looked like typical Pittsburgh Penguins October hockey. I don't think they really respect the Vancouver Canucks, so they barely even showed up. You know, they barely played, and especially once they got that goal, it was just like, oh, that's it, right? And then that wasn't it and the Canucks came back on them. And then that third period was so boring. Vancouver was just icing the puck and trying to get out of there. And Phil Kessel made a nice, really nice play to at least help them get one point, and they lost it. But overall, to me, I mean, I thought that was really boring. I didn't know what your takeaways from that one were. Yeah, I, we were recording um, on that night. Uh, Caitlin and I were recording the podcast with yourself, even with with Mike yeah, Rupp. I, w- right. I wasn't able I wasn't able to watch that game in depth. I caught the the tail end of the third period. I think with with the uh, Phil Kessel to Carl Haglin goal that was able to tie it up and, and send it into overtime. Uh, that was pretty exciting. But yeah, from the from the sound of it, from the looks of it, I, th- I think boring is, is a pretty <laughs> a pretty nice a pretty nice word to describe it it didn't sound like it was too high event the penguins the, the penguins were playing catch up for the majority of the game if i'm not mistaken i think they were trailing 2 to 1 for the majority of that contest so uh yeah, for kessel to to give that that really nice boost at the end there and then to just go into overtime with with the noted penguin killer brock besser uh just to put a bow on that game I guess you don't want to, you don't want to, you never want to overanalyze a mid-October game against the the Vancouver Canucks. So I don't want to put too much stock into it. I don't think you want to put too much stock into it either. So moving on to the following contest two days later uh, against the Maple Leafs. And Jim, if, if I'm being honest with you here, I was fully expecting the Maple Leafs to put up like four to five goals. And I was expecting them yeah. to be, to beat Pittsburgh pretty handily. Uh, I, I know that that sounds like I don't put a lot of stock or a lot of faith into the Penguins, but you know, just looking at where these two teams have been early on in the season, it's clear that the Penguins have kind of been like a little bit of a bumpy roller coaster, whereas Toronto has just been skyrocketing. And this power play, the, the, the Toronto power play, was turning into like the stuff of legend. And for for that sixty minute period of that hockey game, all of these narratives were kind of reversed or put to rest for for lack of a better term uh this was matt murray's return game posting a 38 save shutout really a a fantastic performance in all facets of the game at least in my opinion yeah and in that game against toronto i think you really saw the pittsburgh penguins play a playoff style game because they have heard 
all along how great Austin Matthews was doing. And I mean, he's put up a million points, so why not? And how well John Tavares was doing. And are those the two new best centers? And I think you saw vintage Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin say, hey, don't forget about us quite yet. Because I think Crosby and Matthews, when they were both on the ice, the shots were 7-0 for the Penguins. And then quickly Mike Babcock ran from that matchup and was getting different lines out against Sid. And then Evgeny Malkin did the same thing to Tavares early in the game. It was just all Pittsburgh all the time. They were pouring it on. Malkin scored the really the only goal that mattered in that game. But yeah, that's just kind of how it was crazy. Toronto was scoring 4.7 goals a game coming into that game. And Matt Murray, you could tell, he he was really, really on a mission to prove that he can play a lot better than what he's shown this season and that he's fully healthy and ready to go. And he did that. And we were all expecting a shootout. I thought so too. I thought it would be a six, five game, maybe even seven, six, like the Capitals game, the first game of the season. And then you never know who's going to win. But even though the Penguins gave up a lot of shots themselves, I didn't really feel they were ever in that much danger or difficulty of losing. Like Murray was a brick wall. The offense was so good early on, and even though it was one nothing for the majority of that game, it didn't really feel that way. Toronto did have a push there in the second period, a little bit in the third, but I just felt confident. Like Brian Dumoulin and Chris Letang are playing so well right now. Crosby was doing his thing all over the ice. It's, it's not translating the points, but I almost feel like that's a positive because as long as Sid's getting his chances and he's working on it and it's close, like it just seems like sooner or later he's going to punch through. And then when you look at the stats today, it's like, uh-oh, no one's even talking about it. But Evgeny Malkin has 12 points in six games. That's just a tremendous start. He's doing amazing. Phil Kessel's doing his part. Chris Letang is playing off the charts. So I feel really good right now about how the Penguin star players in particular play that Toronto game. I love how somehow, some way, the narratives are always going to creep back and the, the the penguins are always going to be a part of these narratives because they have Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. You, you, at, at the beginning of the point you were making there, when you were describing Austin Matthews and John Tavares being the the, the next big thing, are, are these two going to be the, the two next big centers? And then you come right off the bat and say, well, let's not forget about Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. It, it's so, I don't want to say that these narratives are are you know worthless because I, I you know I, I don't think worthless is the right word to describe comparing Matthews and and Tavares to Crosby and Malkin, but looking at it from a Penguins perspective, I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is whenever the whenever these stories come up or whenever these these different points of view come up, is McDavid better than Crosby? Is Tavares and and Matthews overtaking Crosby and Malkin as the league's next best center duo? I, I don't know Malkin and Crosby personally, but I feel like they, they to to a certain extent Crosby and Malkin have to hear a little bit of the outside noise, whether they're asked about it personally or whether they hear about it in the newspapers or they're reading it online. Crosby and Malkin I think they still want to prove they they desperately and want to prove that they are as determined as ever for how experienced they are. And given the veteran status that they both have, that they still have a lot of pep in their step. They still have a lot to give. And these two players aren't going anywhere anytime soon. And it's, it's a luxury. It's a luxury to have 
as a Penguin fan, and we've had it for so many years now, I've always said never take these two players for granted because the likelihood of the Penguins getting two players of Crosby's caliber and Malkin's caliber on the same team very well may never happen again to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Watching what Crosby and Malkin do on a nightly basis, even as you said, if it doesn't reflect in the score sheet, especially to Crosby, as you said, at the end of your, at the end of what you were saying, you know, Crosby isn't putting it in the back of the net or isn't registering all of the assists in the world, but it's a positive. I think I completely agree with you that I think it's only a matter of time before the points start to add up. I mean, he's Sidney Crosby for crying out loud. To your point as well, you, you mentioned the, the the incredible uh, start that uh, that Malkin has had through six games. These two veteran superstar players want to remind you, even even all of the really excited Maple Leaf fans who, Jimmy, I'm sure the Maple Leaf fans have suffered quite enough over the last, uh, <laughs> what, five to ten years, but... I think Crosby and Malkin, I think the Toronto game was a really, really good reminder that Crosby and Malkin are still here and they're going to cool your jets and they still want to prove to each and every uh, other team that we're still the two best centers in the world, If you, whether you respect us or you don't. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure that, you know, Austin Matthews and John Tavares take nothing away from them and especially the starts that they've had for their team. Like, that's nothing to... to to you know laugh at because that's true they've done a lot but it's been what five or six games in October what does that mean in the big picture and I think what you were saying is right like Evgeny Malkin Sidney Crosby these are players that have a lot of pride you know and it's corny and it's cliche to say it but they have the heart of lions they have the heart of champions and they are going to do everything in their power to show why the Pittsburgh Penguins have had so much success in the last decade with these guys. And it's no, it's no surprise and it's no accident that they've had so much success. It's mainly because of those two, you know, period, end of sentence. No one in the past 10 years has more regular season wins than Penguins. No one has more playoff wins. No one has more cups. Chicago's tied for now. But, I mean, the reason why Pittsburgh has had the success is because of Crosby and Malkin, and that's it. And now John Tavares signs with Toronto. Toronto, of course, is pretty much the center of the English-speaking hockey world, just as, in terms of hype and excitement. And you said the last five to ten years. How about 1967? They, you know, <laughs> they haven't won a cup since the Penguins have had a team. So exactly. they're, you know, they want anything possible, and they they do have something good going right now. There's no doubt about that. But we did see, you know, the Pens big boys say, hey. All right, you guys got something going here, but, you know, we're in the picture too. And that was a big takeaway for me for Matt Murray because he was healthy on Tuesday and the Penguins elected to start Casey DeSmith instead. And that probably was a good decision because Casey DeSmith played well enough to play against Vancouver on Tuesday night. But you can tell that that didn't sit well with Matt Murray. He wants to be the guy. Any goalie like that wants to be the guy. Matt Murray, you talk to anybody, they'll tell you he – I don't know if cocky is the right word, but I think he has he has an attitude, and I mean that in a good way. Like he wants to be the guy. He wants you to, you know, put the load on him. And it, it's gotta be frustrating for him with all these injuries he's picked up that he knows he hasn't been the most durable player. He knows he hasn't started the season well. He started the season terrible. And I think there's no denying that. But I thought that it's weird to see like a goalie play angry, but it almost looked to me last night, Matt Murray making some of those saves, like the way he was making it a point, it felt like to get to the top of this game and stay extra sharp and just do everything he had to do to say, 
you know, don't forget about me either because I played three seasons and won two Stanley Cups, and I'm trying to get back to that level. Yeah, for sure. A 38-save shutout uh, in your first game back in, what, uh, a little over two weeks and suffering, uh, unfortunately, another concussion. And he looked every bit as he did uh, when the Penguins were were riding that tremendous wave over the last uh, uh, the, the previous two years when they won the two Stanley Cups. Matt Murray had just as much to do to win those two Stanley Cups in net as Marc-Andre Fleury did. And whether you like it or not, Marc-Andre Fleury is in Vegas now. There's something I want to say. And I, I want to say it. I want to go on record here. And, and Yeah, let the hot I, takes fly. I, I know a lot of Penguin fans, I know a lot of commenters on social media in general, when looking at Matt Murray, the second, you know, the, the second he allows a, a goal in over his glove hand, they want to burn the kid at the stake. And let's not forget, if you know anything about hockey, you know that the glove hand is probably the easiest place for anyone to score. Nine times out of 10, if not 10 times out of 10, I'm going to shoot the puck at the goalie's glove hand because... That's what history tells me is the best place to score the goal. Everyone wants to crucify Matt Murray for having the weakest glove hand in the history of the NHL. And let's be let's be real. Matt Murray's glove hand is fine. It may he, he really may not have the sharpest the sharpest glove hand in the history of the league, but he doesn't have to. He's a 24-year-old with two Stanley Cups. He has done he's done enough in his short stint in Pittsburgh that most NHL goalies will dream about for the entirety of their career. Matt Murray has skill. He knows he's good. And I think to your point, Jim, he did play angry. And I think it really showed and it, and it resonated with him. You could really see that he wants the faith to be put. He wants Mike Sullivan to put all of his eggs in his basket. He wants Mike Sullivan to put that faith into him and say, this is our guy. You you may have a couple rough patches here and there with a couple of untimely and unfortunate injuries, but this is our guy. We're going to ride him until the end, no matter where it takes us. And I think Penguin fans, whether you like it or not, Matt Murray is your goaltender. He is going to be your goaltender for the better part of the next five to 10 years, probably, if he's healthy. Marc-Andre Fleury, as much as he is a tremendous person, he is a tremendous human being and a tremendous goaltender. He's not here anymore. The Fleury-Murray debates are probably, as much as I don't want them to, they're probably going to go on until both, both players end their careers. But if that game in Toronto was anything to show... For Matt Murray, it's that he is the guy and he is capable of taking this team to where they want to go again. Woo, you feel better now? I, you know, I do. I do. You gotta it's get it off your chest. I know. I get it. I get it. No, it, yeah. it's not often. Uh, go, go ahead, Jimmy. I just want to say one last thing. It's not often yeah. that I explode. It's not often that I explode. But you, you brought up after we were talking about Crosby and Malkin, you, you perfectly segued into the Matt Murray discussion. And it's something that I've been thinking about for so long. You know, Murray, it's 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 okay for a goaltender to have a, a stinky game every now and again. It's going to happen. But, oh, my God, it, it, it's every single goal that Murray lets in. Oh, it's so soft. Oh, I wish Marc-Andre Fleury were here. Oh, I wish they would have never drafted Murray. Oh, I can't stand Murray. I wish, uh, I wish they would have kept uh, Fleury instead of Murray in the expansion draft. Like, get over yourselves. That time has passed. Fleury is in Vegas, and Murray is here, whether you like it or not. If you're going to support this team, you don't have to like Murray. But if you're going to support this team, you have to stand by Murray and hope that he succeeds. Because if Murray succeeds, this team is going to succeed. That's that's well put. That's right on the money. Um, 
Yeah, I I didn't know that was coming from you, and I appreciate that a lot. We need these hot takes. We need to to feed the fire. But you're right. I mean, it's like some Penguins fans just harp on Matt Murray, and it's his glove hand. Well, yeah, if he gives up a goal, it has to go somewhere, and we all don't want the goalie to give up a goal. But guess what? It's going to happen. And goalies give up goals to their glove hand all the time. It's where shooter shoots, where there's usually the most the most visible part of the net that they can see is to that side and that's by design of the goalie because they're going to flash that glove and they're going to take it away or they're going to try to but you know you have Alex Ovechkin shooting at your glove hand guess what he's going to put some by and stuff like that so it is frustrating sometimes it's um I understand you know Marc-Andre Fleury did a lot for the Pittsburgh Penguins he's one of my personal favorites I think he's one of everyone's personal favorites, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, I don't think it doesn't do anyone any good to go back now and wonder what if, or what could have happened because there's no doubt the penguins made the only decision they could make. They kept the guy who was 10 years younger, the guy who was making less money and locked in for a while. And the guy who had better stats at the time when it came to make the decision. So there's no way around it. And there's no point of saying, Oh, well, was that right? Was that wrong? Did they know Murray is going to be bad? And, Stuff like that when Marc-Andre Fleury got hurt last year and Matt Murray played more games than Marc-Andre Fleury. So it's kind of like, you know, you're not even comparing Matt Murray to Marc-Andre Fleury. You're just comparing him to your vision and your imagination of Marc-Andre Fleury where he doesn't let up goals. And I think anyone who watched the Penguins, especially in the playoffs from, you know, 2010 to 2014 would tell you Marc-Andre Fleury wasn't really the goalie people wanted back then either. He took a lot of slack, but then you lose him and then people start loving him. But I think that's just human nature. That's how it goes. Um, obviously, Penn's fans have a very high standard for goaltending because Fleury did, you know, when he was on his game, he played well. And I think it's a shame if, if people aren't going to give Murray that chance because he's going to bring that element too. He's he's bigger. He Technically, he should be better and he should give this team a, a good chance, you know, like you said, Garrett, exactly for the next five to 10 years, Matt Murray's going to be that guy. And hopefully he's going to be an above average guy, maybe even in the Vesna competition sooner or later, maybe not this year, but one of these years he has the build and he's shown in the playoffs, he can put together that stretch where he's one of the top goalies in the league. And that would be a huge advantage for the Penguins if to go along with their offensive weapons. They also have a really good goalie and hopefully Matt Murray can show more of what he showed in Toronto and build off this and just really get back. Cause after his Rocky season last year, everyone wants to see it now. Like it, it's weird to think a guy who has won two Stanley cops at such a young age has something to prove, but I think he was playing like he had something to prove, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but I don't think it's true either. Like, I don't think he has anything to prove, but at the same time, you can rephrase that and say, well, he has to maybe establish himself now. He has to show that he is going to give the Penguins the best chance to win the season. And I think through the first four or five games, you could point to Casey DeSmith and say, well, the backup was playing better, and you'd be right. But now Murray last night, or Murray on Thursday night showed hey, I am the starter. I'm the starter for a reason. I have this pedigree. I have won these cups, and I can do this again. And he showed that again, shutting down the league's best offense. And if he can do it then, then there's no reason why really he shouldn't be able to do it again and again. So now I guess that's the exciting part is we just have to wait. The wait is almost over to see Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers. So it's a West Coast trip. Hopefully everyone's ready for some late night games if you're on the East Coast and in the Pittsburgh time zone. And I guess we'll be ready to stay up late 
pound the coffee and watch them out in Western Canada this week. I love these. I love the Western road trips when they head out to Western Canada and California. I personally, I am a huge fan of the 10 p.m. starts. I I love staying up and and watching you know you know watching hockey until like 12:30 1 a.m. I guess that's just me coming off as that's a young, young versus old right there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, for, that's like almost my bedtime these days, man. <laughs> I, it's tough, but yeah, it's, it's, it's good, but yeah, definitely better for people your age to take and enjoy and enjoy this now while you still like 10 PM games. Cause I, I bet <laughs> you in about 10, 15 years, you're not going to be singing the same tune. Oh yeah. I'll probably be 10, 15 years from now. I wouldn't be surprised if I'm in bed by puck drop at 7 PM. Welcome to my life, buddy. <laughs> yeah, so looking ahead at the at the rest of the Penguin schedule, they do have games, as you mentioned, Jimmy, against the Oilers on Tuesday. Then they face off against the, Flame, the Calgary Flames in Calgary on Thursday, October 25th. And then they head to Vancouver with another game against the Canucks on October 27th before they come back home to PPG Paints Arena the following Tuesday on October 30th with a matchup against the New York Islanders. But yeah, looking ahead, uh, the Western Canada road trip, it's it's certainly going to be interesting. You brought up the name of, of Connor McDavid and, you know, everyone, everyone is going to put a star or circle or bold in that game just because uh, of the, the nature of the game itself and what comes with it. You know, I, I, the Crosby versus McDavid, the old generation against the new generation for, for lack of a better term. And, you know, it's just, it's just part of the game. I, I think it's part of the game that also motivates Sidney Crosby from a, a personal standpoint. You, you brought up the term pride earlier when we were discussing the Crosby Malkin Tavares uh, Matthews debate. And from a personal standpoint, I think Sidney Crosby is one of the most driven, if not the most driven NHL player in the world. And I think he, he sees this game against, uh, against the, uh, the, the Oilers coming up. I, I don't think he wants to put Connor McDavid in his place per se. I think he knows the kind of player Connor McDavid is and the kind of player that he will probably turn into. But I think, I think there's a little bit of, of an edge to Crosby's game when, when it comes to a game like this against a, another young superstar like uh, Connor McDavid. No doubt, because, I mean, I would think if you're just judging on individual skill like McDavid, and I know a lot of people don't get to watch him since he's out in Edmonton, but the way he flies around, he, I mean, he's like Sidney Crosby in 2007, 2008. Like he has that kind of jump. He's that unstoppable off the rush. He can beat you in so many ways. So it's always fun to see Connor McDavid. It's a little terrifying because this is how people have felt all these years when they play against Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and, it's that same kind of level where it's just something really special could happen on any shift. And I do think that will fuel Sid. I think, you know, just like we saw him against Austin Matthews, he was determined. Austin Matthews had two point games at least every game, the first six games until he played Pittsburgh. And then Sidney Crosby shut him out until they chased that matchup. So I don't know if that's even possible against Connor McDavid, but if we know anything, it's never bet against Sid when it comes, especially when it's a matter of will, when it's a matter of just intensity and, and really showing what it takes. He's always answered the bell, so hopefully he has what it takes in this one, but it's going to be fun to watch either way. Jimmy, I think that will do it for this episode of the Pensburg Podcast. Again, if you have any... Any information, any concerns, any questions, any sort of feedback you want to pass along to us, 
you can send anything you want to Pensburg Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow Jimmy on Twitter at hooks underscore or pick. You can follow myself on Twitter at G Bahana, G B E H A N N A. Jimmy, do you have anything else left to add before we get out of here? Yeah, uh, that's good stuff. Definitely let us know. Give us some feedback on that email address. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions you want to hear us address on the air, or I think everybody's seeing it now, we're getting some pretty interesting guests. So if you want us to ask a guest any particular question, you know, we'll hold them till maybe it's relevant. Send it in. Also, please do us a favor. Give us five stars if you're enjoying this. Rate and review us on iTunes and all the other little media things that really helps us a lot so it will take a minute out of your day but we'll definitely appreciate it and thank you to those who have and thank you for listening we're having a good time making them and if we guys are enjoying the podcast absolutely i echo everything that jimmy just said uh but for jimmy himself for hooks orpic i have been garrett behanna thank you so much for listening we hope you enjoyed and we will see you next week